0: Uh, it is Palm Sunday. It is Palm Sunday, and and I'm I'm not going to go there. Uh, we've preached Palm Sunday sermons before, uh, but just just a note. Um, <clears throat> under David, the Israelites had probably the greatest uh, amount of kingdom, if you will, and in control God's kingdom on earth. And and then things kind of unraveled, and they went into exile, first uh, the northern kingdom, the ten northern tribes, and then later on Judah to Babylon. And uh, so discouragement uh, set in, etc. Maybe they were feeling like there were restrictions as well. Uh, but then they get to come back, but always living under somebody else's thumb. So if you remember uh, Alexander the Great... Some of you maybe saw the movie, but Alexander the Great, his, his successors, the Ptolemies and later the Seleucids, kind of took over the world, and, and so Israel was under their thumb for a long time. And, and then uh, the Maccabees came along and slowly wrestled territory back away from the Seleucids until they had control. Israel once again had control of almost the same amount of territory as in David's heyday time. So you can only imagine, and when when they were able to do that, they were waving palm branches to celebrate that event. And so when Jesus Jesus comes into Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday, and they're waving palm branches, in their minds they are thinking, because now they're under the Romans, they're again under this thumb, and they are thinking, we are looking for a Messiah that will be a political liberator because we want to be free politically, And Jesus came to do so much more. That's that's not even the tip of the iceberg. He came to give liberation, but way beyond this physical liberation. And as has been mentioned already this morning, our brother Dave is experiencing that liberation to the fullest. That's what this all points to. In John's Gospel... Palm Sunday comes kind of on the heels of Jesus raising Lazarus. And you will remember, if you read in John's Gospel the events there, there's a time after raising Lazarus that the Jewish leaders plotted to kill Jesus. It's like, now you, you've, this, this is too much, we've got to get rid of this guy. And we don't know how long that is, but it was after that, that Jesus went into Jerusalem, and you know the rest of the story <clears throat> Certainly, the cross is pivotal to our redemption, our restoration, and our rescue. So, when we think of Jesus entering Jerusalem, we think of liberation, we think of Messiah. We've got to think in a much larger picture than just this physical liberty. Well, today we want to look at Ephesians chapter 2, 1 to 10, in our, our ship shape series. And talking of, we've talked about discipleship and fellowship and stewardship. And today we want to talk about workmanship. And I, I thought maybe I, it would be a good idea if I read uh, from the message, uh, the passage, because uh, although it's maybe, it's a paraphrase, it's not, a, it's not as textually accurate, but it might give us a better picture. It wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old, stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. Ain't that the truth? You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. Hmm. We all did it, all of us doing what we felt like doing, when we felt like doing it, all of us in the same boat. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with a whole lot of us. Instead, immersed in mercy and with an incredible love, he embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. He did all of this on his own with no help from us. Then he picked us up and set us down in highest heaven in company with Jesus our Savior. Now God has us where he wants us, with all the time in this world and the next, to shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. Saving is entirely his idea and entirely his work. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. We don't play the major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we'd done the whole thing ourselves. No, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both, the making and the saving. He created each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does. The good work he has gotten ready for us to do, work we had better be doing. Uh, That's a paraphrase. It's maybe more understandable than some of, the, some of the words, particularly in the King James. Did you know that God has made you his masterpiece? You are the masterpiece of creation. In fact, the word here, workmanship, is poem. You are a poem of God. You're not an assembly line product, mass produced without thought. You are a custom-designed, one-of-a-kind, original masterpiece, according to Rick Warren, and I think he's right. According to the Scriptures, God didn't just make us wind the clock and then go to sleep. Like a parent teaches and works with their child to train them and to help them to reach adult maturity, Likewise, God is patiently working to mold and shape us into the likeness of his Son. And the biblical term for that is sanctification. Now, this may come as a shock to some of you. Many of you know me already fairly well, but I'm going to get it out there anyway. I'm not perfect. Wow, well, there's a hush in here. Yes, I, 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 I'm I'm broken. I I have issues. I'm not perfect. And newsflash, you're in that boat with me. But, But you don't have to stay there. You and I get to work on that. And more so, we get to allow, even more importantly, we get to allow God to work in our lives. We're his workmanship. So he, I said the other day, and I'd forgotten the alliteration, I should have checked it. But remember those bracelets, please be patient with me, God is not finished with me yet. It's true. Now it sounds like a Napa commercial. It's true. God is not finished with you yet. Ephesians 2 verses 1 to 10 starts off kind of in a negative portrait of our past reality. And I'm glad the word there is you were, you were. I, you don't have to stay there. You were spiritually dead, relationally cut off from God because of your sin. And I should say our, because it's me too. Paul says you were dead. That's what we were. And he talks about this walk of life. It, it's, it's, our walk is kind of our life, our process of living. It's what we do. It kind of defines who we are. And in this walk of disobedience, we were following Satan. That was our sphere of influence. There you have that reference to sphere of influence for the first time. Sphere of influence. That was our sphere of influence before Satan and the world. And he talks about the resulting behavior. We gratified the flesh, its thoughts, desires, and cravings. And then he goes on to say that we were destined to wrath, meaning that we were destined to God's ongoing disapproval with sin. God disapproves of sin. And and if you've ever wondered how do you manage to love the sinner and not condone the sin, God does that perfectly. Otherwise, you and I would be in in rough shape. We'd be in trouble. But God loves the sinner without necessarily justifying or condoning the sin. Paul views death as as a tyrant that dominates unredeemed humanity both in our present living and also as our future destiny. The end result, death invades and permeates the present. Death controls life because it's non-relational and corrupting. So as a consequence of that sin, as this walk of sin, people have no relationship with God and distorted relationships with one another. And we are powerless to change, unless God helps. So Paul's talking about sphere of influence. That's what we were. That was our sphere of influence. And if that's where we would stay, just like if you read the first 11 chapters of Genesis after the fall, it just keeps going down and gets worse and worse and worse until you get to the Tower of Babel and it's it's bleak and dark and negative And I'm so glad I don't have to stop reading my Bible there because Genesis chapter 12, God calls Abraham because God doesn't give up. Wonderful. And so here Paul also says, but, there's an important but. Those little words in Scripture are important. There's a change here. He says, but God. God is the ultimate missionary, the ultimate searcher, seeker. And because of God, you are alive. And now we have a positive portrait of our present hope. You were, but now you are. That you were, that's gone. That's in the past. That's thats not where you are now. Paul says you are alive. God takes the initiative. God is a great mover. He brings hope to our reality. He acts because of his great love and his Richness of mercy. God is love. Uh, And that's why he acts. We were dead, but he has made us alive with Christ because he took the initiative, and we are saved saved by grace. As Paul says here, God raised us up with Christ and seated us in heaven with Christ. You'll notice that with Christ multiple times. See, he's linking us to Christ, He's in, in, in essence, he's saying what's true of Christ is now true of you. You're linked. And why does he do this? He does it to show his wonderful, incredible grace and kindness. I think that's why we don't say God loves. We say God is love, because he is, he, is, he is the personification, he is the description, he's the definition of what love actually looks like. As selfless Agape love. And we don't merely, as believers, agree to certain ideas, as Wilbert and Hilda did, and that's not all they've done, but we also, we're bound to God, and we live in response to Him. It's not just cognitive, it changes our life. I think Paul's frequent use of phrases like with Christ or in Christ show his conviction that our faith joins us to Jesus Christ. And as I said so strongly that what is said of Christ is now said of us, true of us. Faith has an adhesive quality to it. It binds the believer to the one believed. That's different than just mental assent, cognitive assent to something. Can you imagine if I owned a Honda dealership and I drove a Yamaha? It would seem like I wasn't terribly convinced of the quality of my products. You can't just say I believe in Christ and then not allow Him to transform your life. Those two go hand in hand. So using sphere of influence lingo, people either live in sin and under its influence or We live in Christ and under his influence. So you can see how we are moving our way toward workmanship. It's a question of serving the tyrant of sin or serving Jesus. Our conversion is a transfer from one sphere to the other. It's a change of lordship from one to the other. And actually, it's transfer from the realm of death to the realm of life. So our true identity is not determined by personal characteristics, experiences, and abilities, but by our life with and in Jesus. That's our identity. He is the environment that shapes us. So, as important, as, important it is, as it is to imitate Christ, I think that we have to start with identifying with Christ. Our identification with Christ actually comes before our imitation of Christ. I, I think I have that right. We identify with him, and then we imitate him. Verse 8. 4. Here we have another preposition. I think this congregation has learned to f- fixate on the prepositions and these little words that, that s- set thoughts in order. For you are saved because you really worked hard at it, and you did what you needed to do. No. You are saved because you bought an indulgence. No. You are saved, uh, you can add whatever you like, none of those will work unless you say that you are saved by grace. You're saved by grace. I used to uh, I do door-to-door in Las Alamedas in Chihuahua. And I would go to, uh, I would knock on a door and whatever. And, and in our conversation, I would say, I, I, could, I could write you a check for a million dollars. Here, take it. Take it. And, 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 and I would say, what does it help you if you don't take it? Nothing. And I says, how about if you take it, but you put it on the mantle, and everybody that comes over, you show them this check that you got from me for a million bucks, but you never take it to the bank and cash it. What does it help you? You see, a free gift has to still be received. It it has to be received. It doesn't help you if you don't receive it. You You can preach to the hilltops that Jesus died for everyone, but that doesn't reduce the fact that everyone has to receive it to be able to make it cash. Have to apply it. And how? You are saved by grace through faith. That's the agency. We are saved by grace through faith. So our free will kicks in. In response to the prompting of the Holy Spirit, and we accept this gift that you can't buy, you can't earn, no merit of your own, you can't contribute to it, you accept it. And as Paul says here, we can't boast. We can't boast because we didn't contribute anything to it. In reality, nothing we do grants us standing before God. We can't, we can't earn that. We have no claim on God in that sense. Grace is God giving himself to us freely. He accepts us without precondition, and he gives us significance and a standing in our relationship with him. So we are valued by grace, but the attention is not placed on us, but on God who loves so deeply, and therefore grace moves us to worship and also moves us to true humility. Well, if all of the initiation comes from God and all the praise belongs to him, then there's no room left for either pride or self-deprecation. Or if you know the Low German, I don't amount to anything, that kind of an attitude. I'm, I'm, I'm worthless. Neither are acceptable. Faith joins us to Christ and affects our whole life. We do nothing to gain salvation, and yet God accepts us and receives us. And then Paul says, we are created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Well, we have a shift here. Paul, if you look at Galatians, anywhere else, he seems to talk about works in a disparaging way because legalism and working for your salvation is wrong. It's actually a rejection. Can you imagine if someone gave me a check for a million dollars and I went out and got myself a job Uh, for $5 an hour and didn't take the check. I'd be actually dissing the person that gave me the gift. I'd be rejecting the person. You and I can't work to get what cannot be bought. It is faith alone that justifies, but faith that justifies can never be alone. It also produces works, but now it's out of gratitude. Grace is not only the starting point for our salvation, but also for our sanctification, our walk so it is the starting point for our salvation but it doesn't end there it's not like well when i was 13 years old i accepted the lord jesus as my savior and these last 60 years nothing has changed uh, that that would be a sorry commentary because you and i are meant to accept the gift of salvation but then also submit to the lordship of jesus christ and to grow to grow Faith is a covenant word. It expresses the commitment and trust that bind two parties together. So God has made promises that he keeps, uh, but we in turn are meant to trust those promises and live in light of them. So what does Paul say in verse 10? One last four. For we are God's workmanship. This now talks about purpose and goal. God has a plan. He has a purpose here. We are his project, his design, his masterpiece. We have been recreated and reborn in Christ for the purpose of doing good works. I've often said that believers of all people have a reason for living. We have, we have this amazing calling to participate with God in his grand project. Every last one of us. And you can't raise your hand and say, oh no, that couldn't be me, I don't have a Bible school education. Or no, that couldn't be me, I don't know how to speak in public. Or, no, actually, there, there are no qualifiers here in the family of God in terms of skills and abilities. <laughs> By the way, he gave those to each of us. We are God's workmanship can well be translated we are the result of his activity. He planned, he prepared this participation with him in advance. So this isn't something he came up with all of a sudden last minute. I saved these people but <coughs> excuse me. But now what am I going to do with them? They're going to sit around bored. No, he has this amazing plan that we get to participate with him. And amazing We actually are meant to participate with each other in following him in that plan. That's what the church is all about. As a family, we participate together. This family, we participate together in pursuing God's call in our lives together. And not only individually are you and I his workmanship, but together, the church, we are his workmanship too. And newsflash... EFC isn't perfect either. If it was, you wouldn't belong here. Neither would I. We're his workmanship. But it is so wonderful to work together as a family. We're not meant to be Lone Ranger Christians. So God not only wants to display the great riches of his salvation to us and how we came to know God through faith, but he also wants that to happen through what happens after salvation. Our good works follow salvation. There needs to be fruit of God's good work in our lives. So we not only have faith to believe, we also have the faith to live it out, to live it out. What would you say this morning God has prepared works for you and me to do. Works for us to do together. He's prepared them in advance. And he wants us to be actively involved in that. Our conversion is not the end. It's merely the beginning. It's merely the beginning. We are part of God's new creation. And God continues to work in us and through us to make us more like Christ. Yep. That process is now over for Dave. That that process of getting there is now over for him. He's he's crossed, crossed that threshold. Yep. But those of us that are still here, we still have work to do. Christ is equipping us for our walk and for our work. And yes, he does use different tools. He uses scripture, so we need to read our Bibles. He uses prayer. And this is the one you won't like. You'll be okay with those first two. But he also uses suffering. And if you don't believe me, read 1 Peter chapter 4. He also uses it. I didn't say he inflicts it. I said he uses it. For you and I to grow. So we pray for his work in our lives. Both individually and corporately. We ask that he would work in us. And that he would help us to conform to the image of Jesus Christ. And I know that he can't really work through us until he has worked in us. He can't work through us until he has worked in us. And, and maybe, that's, maybe that means that we should constantly be praying for revival. Which is really just a request and asking God to have his way in our lives. And in our church. Can we say, I thank God for how he made me and for redeeming me? Can we say that? Can we say, I accept God's appointed work for my life as the best thing for me and for all concerned? Can we say that? Can we say, I believe God will empower me to carry out the work he has entrusted to me? Can you say that? Or do you think he's going to give you a task that's just impossible for you? you think he would do that? Can we say, I discipline myself to stay close to him and focus on his good works? And finally, can we say, I will give praise for the great things he is doing through my life? And while I'm asking questions, I'll ask a few more. And then we'll see whether there are some questions that have been texted in. What if... What if people experienced Christians as those joined to the loving giver? Hmm? I think that's a question we can ask ourselves. What if people experienced believers, Christians, as those joined to the loving giver? What if they saw grace extended from people who had experienced grace? Hmm? What if they saw grace extended from those who have experienced grace? So do I extend grace? Do I extend grace? What if they saw evidence of movement from disobedience to obedience, from death to life? What if they saw God's grace and love flow through us? What if they saw that? I mean, you can take a a course on evangelism. You can study. You can get your PhD in evangelism. You can do all of that. But actually, I think that when God's love flows through us and his grace flows through us, we're already at the front of the class. I really believe that. What if they saw a faith worth having? What if they saw a faith worth having? So so the, the question here, this this doesn't have to do with Sunday morning per se. It has to do with the rest of the week, where I study, where I work, where I live, my neighbors, what if they saw a faith worth having? They saw, they didn't, they didn't hear my theology and my, my great answers, but they saw the way I lived, and they would say, what he has, I want. The great thing is, you and I are his workmanship, and he hasn't given up, he keeps working, and he has prepared stuff for us to do. Uh, Let's pray and then I'll get the praise band to come up and uh, Mo and I will interact with Diane and the questions. Um, Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for that supreme sacrifice, sending your Son to not only die on the cross for us, but to also show us how to live. And we thank you that we are your workmanship, that you have also chosen work for us to do in advance. Uh, You give our lives meaning. You not only rescued us from death and sin, but you've made us alive in Christ and given us meaningful things to do. So we ask that by your Holy Spirit you would continue to direct us individually and also as a church that we would be able to understand your calling on our lives and then in obedience that we would follow you and give you the honor and the glory we pray this in Jesus name amen
1: i'm not sure if it's oh sorry i'm not sure if it was the way the question was <clears throat> worded or or what but moan nicely added something which I think helped the question, actually. Your answer helped me understand the question. Anyway, the question was, how have you experienced a change in sphere of influence in your life as part of your new walk with Jesus? Okay, now they're coming. See? You know, just got to start. Okay, so I'm going to read most first because it, it made the question clearer to me. The sphere of people that I allow to influence me has changed from the world to the people and voice of God but I hope that the sphere of people that I influence has only expanded. Mm, perfect. That that helped me understand yep. the, que- the way Ernie worded the question. And so I think those two facets need to be there. Who I let in and who I influence.
0: Okay.
1: And the next comment was, my sphere of influence is not just singular. I have different spheres according to to different aspects in, of my life, home, neighbors, work, and relationships.
0: Okay, I, I, would, I would hope that you would not understand when I talk about sphere of influence that I'm advocating for isolation, that we need to get out of the world and, and, and be away from people that are not following Christ. Um, I, it has been said that if you want to know what you're like, look at your three or four closest friends because we're influenced by those that are closest to us. Um, but the truth is that you and I are also called to influence, and I like that, we're also called to be salt and light. And, and, and salt and light has to be where it's needed. Can you imagine if we took all of the bulbs in this church and put them in the closet? We'd get called to rewire the church so that we could put all of the bulbs in the closet. The place would be lit up like the 4th of July, but it would be dark everywhere else where the light would be needed. So so we're, we're meant to be salt and light out in the world.
1: But I think there's a, that, that's, the, that's where the problem lies. How do I influence and live in the world and not be influenced? Like, that's where
2: the... I, I think for me, it's really important to set guidelines and boundaries in my life of, of what voices am I going to allow to, to speak into my life, right? And so... Um, what, am, what am I going to choose to, to let in? And I think, I think for me, like when you talk about workmanship and you talked about the idea that we can't have too high a view of ourselves and we also can't have a, a really low view of ourselves, I think personally my, my tendency is to lean towards the lower view of, view of myself. I have to be really careful that I don't allow voices that come in that, that, that tell me those things. That I actually have to set up boundaries in my life to 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 say no, but actually God is the one who is going to give me my my value. God is what God has done for me is what's going to give me my my sense of worth and um, and to be able to trust and to hold on to that.
0: I think also Satan would really like to 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 take that word and flash it in front of you and, and tie you to the were. Yeah, oh I've made these mistakes in the past. Oh, this is unforgivable or I did this or I did this and, and I, I'm not worthy. And, and Satan would like to just continue to highlight that. And Paul says, you were, past tense, you were, but now you are. There is a different reality and you are redeemed. You are bought with a price and you are God's workmanship. And he is working in you. If you want to talk about value, uh, you have value
2: and it's a really amazing thing to experience if you're the kind of person that naturally holds on to the you know that 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 were right what I was and struggles with that when you get to the place where you have reminded yourself over and over and over again that no but I am and then when something comes up that that tells you and you know that it's a voice that that isn't that isn't the truth that tells you no no but but you actually are, and then to be able to to be able to hold on to that in the in the moment, and to be able to say no, 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 I I've heard that voice before, and that voice isn't true. But this is what's true. Yeah. I am loved. I am I am God's workmanship. I am what He made me to be. I am loved by Him completely. Like yeah. when we start to embrace those things, that's that's a, a moment where you can celebrate. I I really think so. Mm-hmm.
1: And I think we learned that in the Freedom in Christ course. If you do the I am's, they remind you of who you are. And, and like Jesus quoted scripture to the evil one, we need to know our scriptures and we need to know who we are in Christ Jesus and quote that to the voice that is telling us otherwise. And if you don't have that list of, of who you are in Christ, we can get that to you because that's who we need to cling to, who we are in Christ Jesus.
0: Thank you.